Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Uh, hey, so we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Party, because uh, as we look at the New Testament Scripture, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus talks about God the Father, he's always telling stories like he's this guy who throws a great party. Jesus is always at the party. He says God throws banquets, and that when lost people are found, they celebrate. And so we've kind of been walking through Luke chapter 15, and we've been calling Luke chapter 15 that it's like reasons to party. That's at least what Jesus tends to say as we walk through these scriptures. So we talked last week about the lost sheep, and we kind of said, hey, either you're lost or you're the shepherd. Those are really kind of the only two categories that that fit, because the other one is 99 righteous who don't need to repent, and uh, we kind of all agree that that's not a real category. Um, at least I think so. So um, that's what we talked about last week, and uh, we're going to continue building off of that. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the fact that there was low value in losing the sheep, and there was somewhat of a high risk because he left them behind to go and seek after the lost. Today, we're going to kind of flip that if you're a good Bible scholar, and as I mentioned before, we're going to skip over the lost coin because Father's Day is really just too good an opportunity to miss up talking about the lost son, we're going to come back to that, but there's kind of a crescendo throughout these stories, and so forgive me for going out of order, Uh, but we're going to walk through the parable of the lost son together, hopefully get some input from you guys. We're going to be on page 493 if you're going to follow along in one of the worship center Bibles. There's a couple on the tables. If you need another one, please slip your hand up. Our ushers would love to bring you a Bible. We're going to be on page 493, picking up uh, at verse 11, 493, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Let's jump in here real quick. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. All right, let's pause. What are we continuing? What's the room set up? How many of you remember from last week? Who's gathered in close? Tax collectors and sinners, right? These, these people who know they need Jesus, right? They're on the edge of their seats like all of you are this morning, right? They're leaning in and going, man, I just can't wait to hear what Jesus is going to say. And then we've got some other people in the room. Who are the other people in the room? Back row Baptists, right? They're the people that are in the back, right? They're holding up the wall. They're, they're just kind of gazing at from afar. And remember what prompts these three stories is they're muttering under their breath. What are they muttering? Right, yeah, look at that guy. He, he lets the tax collectors and sinners gather in close. He eats with them. Remember, he communicates equality with them. And we, righteous Pharisees, would never associate in that way. That way is wrong. It is wrong to God. It is wrong to us. And Jesus is therefore wrong because of it. And Jesus launches in to these three stories about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in each one, there's a jab, right? The jab was 99 righteous people who need not repent repent last time around. This time, uh, the jab is going to come a bit later. But that's the, that's the setting of this story. Remember, not only is the Bible applicable to us, but it was written by real people at real times with a real audience in mind. And so when this story is told, this is the, this is the setup. And that's important for us as we walk through it. And he's going to up the stakes is where he talked about. We were talking about sheep, which is not that valuable. Then we talk about the coin. The coin is up in value. Come back in two weeks if you want to hear more about why, because it's not just because of its 
it's monetary value. It's probably got a significant emotional attachment to it. So value goes way up, and now Jesus ratchets it up again. He says, not only is this valuable as one of two sons, but it's also high risk. And we're going to find out more about that as we keep going. There was a man who had two sons, verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. We're not going fast here, and I apologize for that, right? But divide the estate, right? So think inheritance. When do you get inheritance? When someone dies. So what's the literal thing that he's saying here? Hey, Dad, we've had a good run, but I'm kind of done with you. I'm kind of done following you. I kind of think you're at the end of your rope. Let's be real here. And so I want my cut. I want my inheritance. They would go so far as to say that in the text that the actual communication is, I wish you were dead. Ouch. Right? That may not be news to you, but nonetheless, let it sink in afresh as if you've never heard that story. Right Here we are on Father's Day, and most of our kids are young. Maybe some of you have some older kids in this range, right? Teenager to adult kind of years. And if your son or daughter, if your child comes up to you and says, Hey, give me my share of your 401k, how's that conversation going? Right? Not well. Like, that's... Sorry, like, nope, that's not, that's not happening. I'm not giving in to that. As a matter of fact, you're going to go to your room, right, because you're in trouble for even having that conversation. And, and that's what's so astounding. We already learned something about the nature of the Father in Jesus' story is that the Father actually, actually does it. Like, he goes through with it. The Son says, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine. And the Dad says, Okay. Which is weird. That may tell you that maybe the dad is, is somewhat uh, passive. Maybe he is a doormat. Um, maybe it communicates something deeper. If you know the story, maybe you can begin percolating and thinking on what this might reveal about the heart of a father who's willing to give when the son says, I wish you were dead. So not only is this interaction going on between the younger brother and the dad, it's also an interaction between the older brother because the way that inheritance works, right, is that you build more and more and more until it's distributed, which means that if you take out the money early from your 401k, you have less at the end, right? Your math works, your financial planning works. So the older brother is going, hey, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, right? Older brother, most of that's mine anyway, so I don't know what cut you think you're getting, but taking it out early means that you're actually taking away from my profits, from what could be mine. The younger brother is just ticking everybody off. He basically says, I'm done with this family. I'm done with you. I'm going to take off and go on my own. Give me what's mine, even though what's mine is nothing at this point, right? Because it's an inheritance, but he's still saying, I wish you were dead. Give me the disbursement now, this is not a good way for a father-son story to go. Happy Father's Day. I apologize. Let's keep, let's keep reading verse 13. It says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. I just think like bad trip to Vegas or the hangover, right? Like that's what I picture that being, right? After he'd spent everything there, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
Verse 17, when he came to his senses, I love those words, I love that phrasing, we'll come back to it. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. So he takes the money, takes the inheritance, and he takes off, right? He's going to go make his way in the world. If you got half of an inheritance, you might be tempted to blow a little money along the way, and so he does. But there's a famine, right? The economy crashes, and all of a sudden he finds himself with nothing. Step out of the story that Jesus is telling. Step into the room in which Jesus is telling the story. He's addressing sinners and tax collectors and then Pharisees. And so when he says he hires himself out to a person of that country who sends him to his fields to work with pigs, there is an audible gasp from the back of the room, right? There's an audible like, I would never get that low. I would never be that desperate. I would never let myself into that category. Because remember, for the Jewish people then and still today, right, pigs are not kosher. Literally, like they, they can't take a part of it. There's no bacon. There's no pork chops. There's none of that stuff going on. And so to take care of pigs was not only a lowest of the low statement, but it was a statement on abandoning everything that you believed to be true. This person had renounced his faith. He'd renounced his family. If you want to talk about lows in life, right, he is at the bottom of the barrel. So low, as a matter of fact, that not only is he working with pigs, which would have been, which would have been frowned upon by the Pharisees and the religious people in the room, he wants to eat what the pigs are eating, right? He wants to eat pig slop, quite literally. I don't know if you've ever been to a hog farm. Uh, if not, you should just pass. Um, just, you can live without it. Um, but it's not good. This is the way in which he finds himself, and then he, he comes to his senses, right? What a, what a fantastic verbiage there. The, the literal translation, the literal words there is that he, he comes to himself. He kind of has one of those mirror conversations, right, where he's just looking, staring in the mirror, and he's going, I, I know better than this, right? Like, like, Dad's got a farm, right? I know that I, 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 I kind of dug myself in pretty deep, but, but he's a good guy. I bet if I just went back, he'd he'd give me a job, right? I'd at least be able to eat something. I'd at least be out of this undignified setting. I don't think I'd be restored. I don't think I'd be put back. That's not even my motivation. That's not what I'm going for. I'm not going for restoration. I'm not going for being reintroduced as part of the family. I'm just trying to live here. And so he sets off after his Father. So many pieces of this story, but let's just take a step back, not only from the story and step back from the room, let's, let's step out to us. So here we see that the son has separated himself from the father, right? His own choices, his own mistakes, he finds himself at the bottom of the barrel. So what separates us from our eternal father? Did you talk about anything at your tables that you'd be willing to share? If not, kick somebody under the table and make them share. What separates us from God? What did you come up with? Anything? Okay, I heard sin. I heard our own desires, right? So in this whole list, there's something's mistakenly absent, right? Namely us. Everything in all of creation, heights, depths, angels, demons, nothing comes in between God's love for us except for perhaps us. 
A more poignant way to illustrate that might be sin, right? When God gives us something, we choose to act in opposition to it. Did anybody else come up with anything besides those two? Sin's a really broad category, but what else did you talk about at your table? Anything? Pride? Sure. If, if you're unwilling to go back, yeah, absolutely. If you're going, I'm just going to stick with the pigs and the muck and all that stuff, yep, that would keep you separated. I heard something else. I don't remember what it was. Sure. Sure. We just find ourselves going on a journey where all of a sudden we leave God behind. Maybe this guy didn't mean to leave his father, but he wakes up one morning and goes, wow, dad's really far away. Hold on to that because we're going to come back to that piece of the story. So we see here that he's separated from God the Father. He has to work against his pride. He has to work against his sin, right? Saying, I wish you were dead is about as big of a sin category against your father as you can probably Get, and so he sets out to go back and be reunited with his father. See, sometimes I think that we're separated from God because of the mistakes that we make, right? The choices that we make, whether you'd put that in the broad category of sin or maybe you're uncomfortable with that word and you'd prefer to just kind of own, yeah, you know, there's some times where, where perhaps I've gone my own way, where God has been going one direction and I've kind of made my own choices to go in a different direction. And so I found myself separated from God, not because he's changed necessarily. He's kind of maybe always been in the background, maybe always been present for who he is, but, but I found myself in a steady stair step away from God. Mistakes that I've made, choices that I've made pursuing extravagant living in a faraway land like Colorado, um, you know, whatever... <laughs> I'm sure you could find something to get in trouble with out here. But we just find ourselves separated from God, perhaps going, man, I don't know how I even got to this place. And then we have a moment where perhaps we come to our senses, where we look in the mirror and we go, this isn't who I set out to be. This isn't who I desire to be. And that's why this line is so profound, because deep down we all have a sense of who we want to be and where God is with us and alongside of us in that journey. I remember one, one story when I was growing up, I, was, uh, I, got, I got my car from my dad. It was a beautiful, beautiful car. This was my gift. It was a 1994 Chrysler LeBaron convertible, uh, forest green, leather. Yeah, it was, pretty, it was pretty sweet. If you guys want to know how I got Melissa to date me in high school, this answers the question pretty readily. Um, but I, I had this car, right? It was, and my, my dad just gave it to me. It was an extravagant gift. And, and I remember one day I was driving home, and it was rainy, and I was a teenager, and I spun out going around a corner. I went off the side of the road. We were in our neighborhood. There was no curbs or anything, but I, I hit a light pole with my front fender and a piece of the fence. I picked up the fence, and again, I was like 14, because you can drive at 14 in South Dakota. So I didn't know what to do. So Everything was fine. The power pole didn't fall over, at least to my knowledge. And so I drove the block and a half home. And I'm, I'm sitting there at home, right? My car's in the garage. My, my parents aren't there. And I'm just going through every single imaginable scenario. Like, can I walk after the beating I'm going to get after this? Um, how will I get to work? How will I get to school? Am I going to lose the car? Am I going to lose my girlfriend because I lose the car? I don't know what's going to happen because of all this. And I remember, I, I can't tell you any specific conversation that we had. I can't tell you exactly that my dad sat me down and, and said something. But I remember that the next day when I got home from work, there was a police car in my front driveway. Got into the police car, and he, he read me the description for reckless driving, which was enough to terrify me. Right? It was a felony. And I was like, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir. He let me off with overdriving the conditions. And I remember going inside and feeling completely defeated in front of my 
parents. There were punishments, right? Don't get me wrong. There were still consequences. But I made choices and there were consequences for them. But, but I never feared, I never feared that I was going to stop being their, their son. I, I never feared that our family dynamic was going to shift. I assumed I would have to pay for stuff. I would assume that I might lose the car. I might have to start paying for my own insurance. I can't tell you which of those things happened and which didn't. But my, my identity was never in question. It was never a piece of the argument. I don't even think I thought about it. I don't think they ever said anything. But sometimes when we get separated from our Heavenly Father, there enters into this identity crisis. We see it in in this story, the line that he's going to use. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Parents in the room. What do your children have to do to be your children? Like be here, right? Like they just are. They don't have to do their chores to be your children. They don't have to be obedient. They don't have to listen, right? As your kids grew up through the teenage years, you may think of a couple more explicit examples about why to disown them. Well, we talked about that in the last series. Go back and review it. But nonetheless, there's this sense that, that to be your child, it doesn't take anything. There's no special work. And so, but whenever it comes to our Heavenly Father, all of a sudden something else enters in, and we think that there's a standard. We think that there's a good enough. We think that we have to measure up in some way, shape, or form, or some fashion. This story illustrates for us, though, that, that no matter who we are, no matter what we do, our actions are not dependent on God's love for us. God's love doesn't matter, doesn't take into account our actions. God simply loves us because we are his children. This is what Jesus came to do. This is the story that he's illustrating, that we owed a debt that could not be paid, and so Jesus cancels out the debt, not only bail money, but like takes the entire bill, covers it so that we can have right relationship with God our Father, so that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's continue reading the story. What's God's response to this son when he comes back? Remember, he sets off on the journey, verse 20b. But while he was still talking about the son a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. What a, what a great word for a son who's been lost. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Other translations use the word embraced. The son said to the father, he begins his rehearsed speech, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He falls to his knees. He starts to beg for his dad to forgive him. His dad cuts him short. He says, I don't want to hear your speech. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is Found And so they began to celebrate, right? So many visual issues with this story. The father running, right? He would have been wearing a, a linen robe. And to run, you had to like hike up your skirt. This would have been very undignified. And so when they say well, the father runs, again, that back half of the room is completely uh, offended. They're standoffish. They're angry. They say that's not appropriate. That's not informed. The father should not be doing that. And then he embraces his son. He restores his son. And again, they're, they're stomping their feet, they're crossing their arms, they're going, this is not a good 
story. This does not illustrate the God that we serve. The son starts his rehearsed speech and the dad just cuts him off, says, there's nothing that you need to do to be my son. Yeah, you've messed up. Yeah, you've been far away. But all that is forgiven and forgotten. Why? Because I'm your dad. Because you're my son. Because I love you and nothing could come in the way of that love. Are there consequences? Absolutely. Are there decisions that need to be made? Yes. But there's nothing that separates you from being my son, because again, God's love is not dependent on our actions. We could stop there. We could have Greg come up, sing Kumbaya, finish the service well, but there's a, there's a whole, is Kumbaya funny? I think Kumbaya is funny. There's a whole other story here, and again, I want us to remember, right, that there's two people in this room, and so the, the tax collectors and sinners, right, they identify with this first story. They know what it is to be far from God, to be judged, to be the lowest of the low, to be the outcast. They know in Jesus' presence what it is to be accepted, to be brought back in, but then there's this whole other section of the room, and again, Jesus in these three stories is far more concerned about the people people in the back of the room than he is simply affirming the people at the front. And so there's a whole other brother, there's a whole other section that we want to get to real quickly here. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and so he called one of the servants and said, hey, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf. You need to see dollar signs because he has brought him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in, standing off at the back of the room. So his father went out, and he pleaded with him. But the son answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving, ouch, for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitute, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. This is the story in the room, right? The younger brother are those close. The one standing at the back are the older brother. They've always kept the rules. They've always followed God. They've always been with the father, keeping the rules, keeping the farm going. But now in this moment, the truth comes out. They're angry. They're standoffish. They won't go in to be a part of the celebration, right? See dollar signs all over. You killed the fattened calf. That's money. And you already gave him half of my inheritance. You're throwing a party. That's more money. You've never let me spend that kind of money. And the older brother just gets more and more set in his ways. He's talking about the Pharisees, these religious leaders. He's talking about people who thinks that what separates them from or what keeps them close to God is their obedience, is their rule following, is being good enough. And what the older brother and the Pharisees actually expose is one of the things that separates us from God is when we think that we can be good enough, when we think that we can keep the rules enough that God then must love us, that we'll then be accepted by God. See, we somehow get into this pattern that while bad things don't keep us from God, that it's our good actions that are required for us to be a good child, a good son of God. And Jesus' primary point in this story is to expose both of these areas of separation and to bring them together. And to say, you're only my child because you are my child. Not because you screw up and not because you behave rightly. You're my son, you're my daughter, you're my prized possession because that's who you are. And no actions that you take will separate you from being my beloved son, my beloved daughter. 
He's trying to expose and to bring the Pharisees in, to expose their, their standoffishness. And that's evident in the Father's final closing lines. Again, God's love is not dependent on our actions. Here's what the Father says to his son. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. I don't know where you find yourself in this story. I don't know, maybe if you relate to the younger brother or the older brother or, or where you find yourself in the midst of this, maybe neither. Maybe you're somewhere in between both of those. But children of God, he says, everything I have is yours. Which leads to the question, what does God have that you want? Money. Cheeky. Good job. What does God have? Maybe peace? Maybe significance? Maybe a life worth living? Maybe God has more for you than you can even think of to ask. But like the older brother, we never think to ask. We just think that all God wants us to do is to show up to church and to read our Bible and to pray when we're supposed to, to not sin too bad, but we don't have to be perfect either, and that's all that God expects for us. And what God says is, everything I have is yours. There are no rules. There are no expectations. You're a child of the king. Everything I have is yours. The farm is yours. If you wanted the fattened calf, you could have killed it at any time. If you wanted a goat, you could have just taken it because everything that I have is yours. In Christ Jesus, through his salvation, we become co-heirs with Christ. We become seated on the throne next to God with Christ who died for us. Everything that I have is yours. So again, back to our opening question. What separates us from God. See, if there's nothing in all of creation that will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, then the only thing that separates us is our own internal disposition, our own internal choices, the decisions that we decide to make. So if you're separated from God, whether from pride or from being far off or from just the day-to-day -day things that don't allow you to keep in step and in sync with God, Jesus says, hey, in me, everything of the Father is yours. You, you have it at your disposal. So what are you not asking for? Where are you behaving like a slave, like a hired hand, instead of behaving like a son or a daughter of the king? What's coming in between you and God? Because whatever that is, whether it's vacation or busyness or work schedule, I don't know what's coming in between you and God, but it doesn't have to be there. It's there because we make choices to put something in between our relationship with God and ourselves. We stick something in there, whether it's our good works and wanting to be good enough and not wanting to disappoint the Father, or whether it's because we think we've sinned and we're too far gone that he would never accept us. Whatever it is, there's something that we put in there. And Jesus comes to say, there's nothing separating you from the Father. As a matter of fact, he says, that's why I came, that's what I came to do, is to bridge, to make a way between God and man, to give you everything that the Father has and to provide a way for you to walk forward. So on your table, there are some cheap little cups and wafers, which I know is everybody's favorite. But the significance is what we're going to talk about. Could somebody throw me one? Yeah, oh, got it. Thanks. <clears throat> 
not our classic uh, and preferred medium, but cutting up bread and cups for every single table is a little daunting. So, um, so you've got these. Make sure everybody gets one. Again, we practice open communion, which means so long as you're communicating a faith and a trust in Jesus, you're welcomed and invited to participate. But um, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, look, God is like a, a father who throws a party when lost things get found. God is like the kind of God who celebrates when sons come home. God is the kind of God who says, no matter what you think separates you, I've bridged the gap. And the way that he does that is exactly his words here. So you can peel off that first plastic layer, grab your little wafer, and then peel back the second layer, and we'll partake here together. But the story of Jesus, the story of what we say is simply this, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. In other words, I'm creating the brokenness that makes way and space to allow you to come into God's presence. All of you eat. Similarly, he took the cup, which had already been poured, and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for the remission, for the forgiveness of sin. It's come to put you in right relationship with God so that everything that the Father has, everything in eternity can be dispensed on your behalf. All of you should take and drink from it. So friends, family, as we sit around the table, perhaps in the closest way to reminisce of the ancient times, I invite you to partake, to take your bread and then to drink your juice together and then we'll pray. Body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ spilled for you. Heavenly Father, God, we're mindful of the fact that we put too many things between us and you. God, that we stick things in there that you don't say are in there that are dependent on our actions. But God, you don't say any of that. You say that you love us regardless of the things that we do that will always be your children. And so God, as we've celebrated in your presence with the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine, God, we ask and pray that you would be honored and blessed by all of these things. God, that we would come to terms with the fact that there's nothing that separates us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as we would take a moment to reflect on those truths, God, that you would speak to us, that we have everything at our disposal that we could possibly need to be your child. And so maybe right now you just need to offer an area of supplication up to God. Maybe there's an area where you're like, God, if everything that you have is mine and all I have is yours, then God, I need you in this area. God, I need some peace right now in my life because things are a little chaotic. God, I need some provision in my life because I don't see how this is going to work out. God, I need a way forward because right now this looks like a dead end. God's your father. He loves you. And there's nothing that's in between you and his love from his perspective. Maybe there's something that you've put up that you just need to repent in this moment. I go, God, I'm sorry. I put that between you and me, and I don't want to do that anymore. Help me to take down the idol. Help me to take down my good deeds or my not good deeds. God, help me to accept the truth that there's nothing between us except what I put there. And God, today I want to take everything down so that it can be just you and me. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying something different to you right now. I'd encourage you to, to lean into that, to talk to him, to listen to his voice, to ask him what he would say to you. And as we sing one more song, that perhaps he would say something to you afresh and anew that you need to hear today. God loves you. 
You're his child, you're his beloved son, his beloved daughter, and everything that he has, all of heaven's resources are moved on your behalf because he loves you. If you believe that, if you agree with that, I'm going to invite you to say amen in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.